As we did last time, I thought we'd start with just a few stories, little testimonies of what God's doing. Um, we just let worship run on longer, just because there's a, there's a sweetness to God's presence right now that I wanted us to sort of ride that wave uh, for a little bit and enjoy Him. But I wanted to make some space for stories. So has anybody got testimony of perhaps what God did in the, in the last session, perhaps connecting with disappointment or anything else that you want to come and share about? Don't be shy. Run down the front, grab the mic, let others benefit from what God's doing in your life. Barmy's come down the front. Brilliant. Let's welcome our brother up, shall we? He's come share. We'll grab the mic. I was doing all right until we got to the bit about... Uh, sorry, I'm Malcolm. I'm from here. I've been to AA meetings. They're exactly like this. Um, the, um, we got to the bit where it's downgrading your expectations, and I, I was doing okay, and then I suddenly thought, some of you will know I'm a West Ham fan. Um, my whole... For 50 years is my... It's been my 50th anniversary next year that I've supported them, or followed them, I should say. I don't go. And I, don't, I was saying at lunchtime, I've never seen them lose on TV because I only watch the highlights. I never watch them live. And if they lose, I don't bother watching the highlights. And sometimes my life has been a bit like that, I think. I think I kind of have expectations and dreams, and they're at this kind of level. And God has expectations and dreams and they're a kind of this kind of level and it's it's kind of shown when we do things like alpha course or something like that and you think well we might get 30 we'll pray for 30 and 60 come and you suddenly realize that our horizons are so much smaller and so much nearer than his and he's got plans for us that just blow our minds when we look back we think god you took that and you made it so much bigger like today you know not so many a couple of weeks back we only had I think we only had a few dozen guys signed up, and now there's whatever there is of us here. Um, and that just really spoke to me that we just, I sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but I sometimes restrict how big God is, and I make him my size, which yeah. clearly is not very big. Um, and, and we shouldn't do that. Brilliant. Thank you, Malcolm. Thanks for sharing. Great. Anybody else? Yeah, just, just come. You can queue up. It's fine. That's what they do on our TSM course. So let's welcome my brother up. So, you want to take it out? What many of you won't know is that this morning a lot of the women gathered in Kingston to pray for the men and pray for the men's day. And they sent me through an email of all the things that they'd prayed for. And I thought it would be helpful um, just to highlight some, and I've now lost it. Um, but effectively, what things they were praying for, that we will be fathers to many and we will impact the fathering of young men, um, that we will, things will be broken and that we will, the fears that have held us will be broken, that we can release those emotions, that we can be men of courage and that our dreams would be rekindled and restored. And just a lot of the things that we were talking about this morning so far were all the things that the ladies were praying. It was just Great. really encouraging. It's brilliant. So good. Thank you so much. I'm Zach. Um, from Everyday. Um, when you had the points up about disappointment and the first, oh, sorry, first one was buried and the other one was, uh, was it the other one was downgrading, downgrading your expectations. Um, we got to point three and I kind of breezed over the first two thinking, that's not me, that's not me. 
Um, and then suddenly God kind of dropped on my heart. Um, stuff like, so I was, I'm being type 1 diabetic since I was like two years old. Um, and many, many, many times I've gone forward for prayer and just received prayer through faithful friends and, and families. I've many, many times haven't been healed and many times thought I was, but then I wasn't. Um, and I think suddenly God dropped it on my heart and I realized, oh, the reason why I hadn't thought about it was because I'd buried it. Um, and, I, and I think it, it doesn't really affect my daily kind of walk with God. But then moments when people called forward for healing and stuff, I think that's actually, a, for me, that's quite a big one. Mm. Um, and I, I'm very happy to pray for other people and definitely believe that God heals. But actually, there's a sense in which for my own healing, yes. my expectations have very much dropped. Right. Um, and my expectations of what God will do through it, even if he doesn't yes. heal me, I think as well, yeah. has dropped. Yeah. So that was for me. And I think it was just a really helpful reminder from yeah. God that actually Brilliant. it's okay to keep pressing into him for that. And, That's great, uh, yeah. Zach. Really good. That's great. Thank you. Anybody else? Go for it. Hi, my name's Shake. My, some people know here know me from here. Um, self-parenting. Parenting. Uh, when I was a young person, about the age of 15, my mother and father split up. So um, it's taken 30 years to sort of to get to this stage, I suppose. And um, I've been a self-parenter. You know, I'm, a, I'm married with kids. But I've always, I've believed for the last 30 years, and it, you know, now God's saying to me today, is actually, you don't have to be a self-parent. I'm your father. Mm. And uh, this wise guy here and a few others have been praying for me today and uh, about failure as well. And, uh, yeah. And I think there's a few other fathers here who have been fatherless and need to face up that actually your God in heaven is the only father that you mm. really need. It's brilliant. Thanks, Shake. Excellent. So good. So good. Let's make this the last one. Let's welcome my brother here. Hi, what's your name? Hi, Bruce. Brilliant. Do you want to come and share? Hi, I'm Bruce from Australia. Still enjoying the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I feel the room went against you in that moment. It suddenly... It got colder in here, definitely. Uh, I, I just uh, wanted to share what I thought might have been a, a word for everyone here. Uh, two, two words. One is that, uh, particularly to do with disappointment, that God can restore what the locusts have eaten and that God is going to do that. And the other one is that for many people here, that the best really is yet to come. Mm. God has got a lot more to do. Mm. And so we should be, I guess, eagerly anticipating what God is going to do in the future. Right. Brilliant. Thank you, Bruce. Excellent. Good stuff. All right. Well, on that note, why, why, don't, we, why don't we move forward? Um, I'm going to ask my team if you've got any words or anything you want to bring or any words of knowledge. You have? Tom, go for it. You want to grab the mic? Hello. I'm Tom from Bedford. Um, I, I felt that like there was a uh, message for more than one person here today. I feel like it might be a few people across here. You're not um, fathers at the moment in the, in the earthly sense, but I feel like there's people here that have discounted themselves as being a spiritual father to people. I feel like you've kind of said over yourself either I'm too this or I'm not enough of this. And I feel like if that's you, I'd just love to pray for you now. So if, if that is you anywhere around this room, if you'd like to stand up, I'd love to pray for you or get somebody else to pray for you. So anybody not a biological father, but have a yearning to be fatherly towards others? Okay, anybody else? I feel like there's more that I'm happy to wait yeah. as well. Okay, great. Excellent, thank you guys so much. Brilliant. Yeah, I just want to release over you guys and let you guys know, as I was praying for this, that the resounding sound from heaven that I had was that 
you guys have things that people need. There are people that are waiting to have over them what you carry, what God has put in you, and that you're not to anything, you're not not anything, okay? God has made you the way that you are, and he has put you where you are, and he has made you for such a time as this. Mm. There are people younger than you, older than you, same age as you, that need a fathering hand, and you guys are the people to do that. Mm. So I just release a blessing from the Father right now. If we just stretch out our hands and pray for our brothers yeah, here. Yeah. I just release the Father's heart message on you mm. to pour that over other people. Mm. I pray that as today, as you hear about the Father's love, that that would be overspill and overflown yes. onto people around you, people that you have influence with, people that you carry a heart for and people that you have a love for. I just pray that they would catch that. That would be a contagious and infectious love. Yes. In Jesus' name. Yeah. And the second, yeah. second thing that I was feeling is more specifically for, I think it's one person, but it may be, maybe two or more. Um, I felt God remind me of a story that we had of our Father's Heart Conference a little while ago. Of, uh, it was actually a lady. I know there's no ladies here, so don't stand up. Um, <laughs> It was of a lady that had never had her father hug her and couldn't experience the father's love because she'd never felt love from her own father. And I feel like there's somebody here today that you've never had a father experience, a father show you love in that way. And I just wonder if, if you could be brave and stand up. If not, come and find me at the end because I feel really strongly that God wants to speak to you in this area. So I'm just going to leave a nice awkward silence to see if there is anybody. Wonderful. If that is you, come find me at the end, and I'd love to pray with you guys. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Guys? Can we thank Tom for his courage and standing up here? It's brilliant. Right. Brilliant. Okay, chaps. Well, um, we're on God's agenda and God's clock today, so um, we're going to aim to land this session at three so that you can get the next caffeine hit. Um, so I'm going to condense things a little bit, but we'll, what we're going to do in this session is we're going to look at the whole subject of handling emotions. Obviously, it's a massive topic and too large to handle in 25 minutes, but we'll do our best with it. Um, I guess I want to start out um, by saying that I love being a guy, and um, there are loads of things that we men are good at. And what I've done just for your enjoyment is I've put a little comp compilation together of men's creativity and ingenu ingenuity, and I've got them coming up on the slides so if you want to put the first one up here, this is men doing what men do best and making the best of a difficult situation. I love the fact they're in the high-vis jackets there. I think that, that just makes the whole thing safe. And the next one, um, I don't know if you can make out, but these two guys, yeah, these guys have decided what we're going to do is we're going to get the heaviest guy, the guy who likes his pies, he's going to stand on the ledge and hold up the board whilst the other guy does the air conditioning unit. And this next one here, um, I don't know if you can make this out, but they needed to move an air conditioning unit, so they, decide, they didn't have a forklift big enough. So they said, let's get a little forklift and lift it with a big forklift. And the guy in the middle there, his job is to hold the orange forklift onto the yellow forklift, which is a responsible position. The next one. What I love about this one, this again is health and safety at work. Um, it's the guy that's holding the rope. Can you see his attention to the task at hand and his <laughs> dedication? Is he really the man you want holding your rope? And then the next one. Yeah. Um, this is... This is this is, um, this is slightly overambitious, I would feel, but you can, this is why we have A&E departments. Okay, and the next one? Yeah, again, um, <laughs> ingenuity. All right, provided you're on a straight. I don't know what he does at a corner. 
And then the next one. Yeah, now this is, this is genius. This is creativity. Didn't have a long enough cable to go right to the middle of the paddling pool, so float it on a flip-flop. What could possibly go wrong? And this one here. This guy thought to himself, I don't have a hedge trimmer, but what I do have is a ride-on lawnmower and a mate with a crane. So um, he's gone for that. Fair play to the guy. I think this, last, this is the last one coming up here. These guys are fast track to getting a six-pack. So these are two guys leaning up against a wire fence, and uh, I think that could catch on. So um, a few of us might want to take that. So I love being a guy. There's lots of things that we're good at. We're very ingenious. We're very creative. Uh, we can make the best of a bad situation. There's a touch of the MacGyver uh, in all of us, but there are some things we are not quite so good at as a whole, as a outside of the species. And I would say one of the things we're not historically terribly good at is handling our emotions. It's not an area us British blokes have particularly excelled in. So we're going to have a quick look at handling emotions, and I'm going to whistle through some things in order to spend time on others. So the first slide coming up is, is for us to recognize this, that God himself is an emotional being. I'm not going to spend long on this because it's in the Bible. You can read it for yourself there. But God gets angry. He has compassion. It's possible to grieve him. He rejoices. And in Jesus, we see him displaying the full range of emotions. So I wonder if you click through that, that slide for us. So we see that God is an emotional being. So in order... Our aim is to be more like him, and so therefore that does entail us connecting and expressing emotions in a godly way. Uh, the next slide is this, is to say to us that emotions are neither right nor wrong. They just are. They are neutral. They, they, we just have them, and it's the way that we've been made. Uh, it's, it's a question of what you do with your emotions that counts. It's your actions off the back of your emotions. So if you click through to the next slide, um, it would be this. So for instance... Um, we, we love, but the question is, where is the object of your love? Um, so there's a right kind of love and a wrong kind of love. Uh, so 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. So that's a good expression of love. But there's also a wrong sense. Uh, so Jesus says, Don't, do not love the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So there's, there's good and bad means of expressing emotions. So we all have emotions. It's how we express them that really counts. And the third thing is this, is that we need to learn what it means to guard our hearts. Uh, so Proverbs 4.23 famously says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. And I think particularly in our society and the pressure and the demands of daily life can suck the life out of us. And we, we, can be careful, we have to be careful that our hearts don't get drawn onto other things. So having an awareness of our emotions and knowing where our emotions are are expressed and how to express is going to be important for all of us. And the danger is that if we start to shut down our emotions or deny them or handle them in the wrong way, it creates all kinds of barriers for us in many aspects of life. So it gives us barriers to connecting with God. So obviously Deuteronomy 6 tells us that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul. It's got to involve a connection with the emotions. It can even be barriers to physical healing. So Proverbs 17, 22, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. And so many of us will know people or perhaps have experienced where bitterness gets in. It has a physiological effect on our bodies. It can be a barriers to intimacy with our spouse or with our children if we don't handle our emotions well. It can even be a barrier to getting deliverance and freedom. And it can be a barrier, too, to the power of God in our lives. 
So Matthew 14, 14, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. We should never separate our compassion for people from our desire to see them healed. The two go hand in hand. It motivates us to see the power of God flow through us. So that's just a whistle stop on emotions there. They are there. We all have them, whether or not you realize it or not, and that God has wired us to be emotional beings. The question is how to express them well and how to handle them in a godly way. And this is sort of obvious too, but our relationship with our earthly father can affect the way that we handle our emotions. It can affect the way that we relate to others in significant ways. And I've got on the screen here different types of fathers that some of us may have experienced. Uh, Firstly, there's the absent father. Um, So this is perhaps where they are physically absent. Maybe they've died or living away from home or the situation of a divorce. And that can result in us having feelings of abandonment. We may have trouble trusting that God will be there for us. There's the passive father. who kind of sits very much on the sidelines, isn't responsive, isn't proactive, doesn't really get involved. Perhaps the mum runs the household. They tend to be quite uh, unemotional and emotionally withdrawn and can result in us having hidden anger or struggling to get in touch with our emotions or receiving love. There's also the performance-orientated father, where he has high standards for you and he lets you know it. They're not balanced with their love and you're Acceptance and affirmation by him was conditional on your achievement and behavior. There's the authoritarian father. Um, He's strict and lives by the rules. His obedience is valued above relationship. Uh, This can result in sudden outbursts of anger where you infringe the rules or a loss of motivation as a result. And you might end up seeing God as there to make sure you obey all the rules. He's not your father so much as the great headmaster in the sky. And then there's the abusive father um, who will inflict physical, emotional, psychological, verbal abuse on us or even sexual abuse. And this creates a deep sense of pain and insecurity. And you may view God as harsh and unpredictable who's waiting to punish you or pounce on you at any one moment. But fortunately too, it's worth saying that there are good fathers out there where they unconditionally pour out love and affection on us and encouragement, and they're consistent and loving in their discipline. It's worth thinking for a moment, what has been your experience of being fathered? And then, not without laying anything on anybody, but thinking how has that then influenced the way that I relate to others around me and to my Heavenly Father? Why don't you just very quickly turn to the person next to you, and if you're able to, just as honestly as you can, say, my experience has been mainly the top two or mainly the bottom one or whatever it is. Just have a quick one-minute conversation. What has your experience of fathering been like? Okay. Just for the sake of time, I'm going to move us on, but I want you to... I want you to begin to connect with some of this experience. And um, unsurprisingly, this can result in a disconnection with our emotions. Um, People have trouble connecting with their feelings on a a number of different levels. Next slide gives you different categories. So uh, some of us have learned to live by someone else's feelings. So if you've grown up, for instance, in an environment where your father was very authoritative and domineering, It means that you learn to adjust your behavior according to the mood that he is in. I know of one guy who's actually a church leader now, but he was 
brought up by his stepfather, and um, his stepfather was an extremely harsh disciplinarian. And uh, he would have to get in from school and had various jobs he would do. And he would run around in a panic, trying to get everything absolutely perfect when his father, stepfather came in, who would then go around and pick holes in all the tidying up and cleaning that he hadn't done. And as a result, he learned to live his life on, treading on eggshells so that he didn't upset his father. What's interesting is that as he's come into church leadership, he's really struggled with perfectionism because he's now finding he's repeating the same cycle with the people that he leads, and so he's dealing with that. Um, it, it may be that um, the family has suppressed emotions. As you know, we don't really do emotions here. We're British. You know, it's that kind of you know sweep it all under the carpet. Uh, it could be that for some of us, we've been taught that there are good emotions and bad emotions. So, you know, uh, Christians don't get frustrated. We don't do that. We're Christians. You know, um, Christians aren't sad. We've got the joy of the Lord, and so certain emotions are packaged away as being unacceptable. For others of us. It's that there's been a moment where there's been a trauma that's meant that we've sort of locked down emotionally. I remember hearing about one guy we were praying with, and it was actually the lady. And she, with her brother, went out with her dad one day. And they were playing football, and the ball was kicked up onto the roof of the garage. And the dad gave the son a leg up onto the roof to get the ball back and threw the ball down. And then he was coming to the edge of the garage to to jump down, but was very nervous about doing it. And this father, obviously a very broken man himself, stood there and held his arms like that to his son and said, uh, don't worry, son, I know you're scared. Jump and I'll catch you as you jump down. And uh, the boy said, no, no. And the dad said, don't worry, no, no, I'll, I'll catch you as you jump down. And so finally the boy leaps off and the dad takes a step back. The boy lands on the floor, bashes his leg, and as the boy's crying and sobbing on the floor, the dad leans over his son and says, Son, let that be a lesson to you. You can't t- trust anyone in this life. And we were, we were ministering deliverance to the sister who'd witnessed this. There was such trauma in that moment. It wasn't even her it happened to, but such was the effect of the trauma that it meant that she locked down all of her emotions in that moment. And she was stuck as it was, you know, age eight or whatever she was just from the trauma of it, let alone what happened to the poor boy, I don't know. So there can be some things that shut us down. I remember when, um, I guess I would have been about seven, something like that, my dad contracted shingles, this sort of skin problem, but he contracted it across both eyes. So I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's really nasty, and you can actually go blind, and he suffered from it very badly. Anyway, um, uh, from, from that time on, I started having nightmares. And in my uh, nightmares, I would see three booths. Uh, sorry, and my dad was in one of the booths, the middle one, and I had different buttons. And in my reoccurring nightmare, I had to press the right button, otherwise my dad in the booth would go blind. And I had, I had been so traumatized by seeing my father with the shingles that I had compartmentalized it away, and it was coming out in my sleep and in my dreams and nightmares. To this day, I still can't picture my dad with shingles. I can't remember what he looks like. But my parents tell me I was so traumatized that I would run away and go and hide um, because I couldn't see him like that. Sometimes trauma can just suddenly interrupt us and cause us to go numb and shut down emotionally. So that's how it can impact on us. And then there are choices that we make within all this, different ways that we go about handling our emotions, particularly what we perceive to be very negative emotions, bad things 
that happen to us. And if we feel like emotions are starting to overwhelm us and get too much with, for us, we tend to do different things. And I've got a chart coming up on the next screen. Um, these are different means of handling emotions in a negative way. I, I'll read it out to you just in case you can't make out the text at this distance. On the left-hand side is, is, is the sort of title. And across on the left-hand side is intellectualizing. Uh, this is where you keep a conversation on rational things because if anything like emotions comes up, you'll want to push it away. And so you might start to talk until the feelings don't come through anymore. Uh, so you might start to connect with deep sense of anxiety. So you say, well, of course, anxiety is a national problem. I was reading a report just the other day, da 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 da, da and you start to intellectualize what's actually something very deeply emotional for you. Or you just change the subject entirely. Did you see Top Gear or Match of the Day yesterday? Or whatever it might be. The next way we can handle our emotions is by minimizing. So we just downplay the whole thing, because that way we don't actually have to deal with it. Um, so you might say, for instance, um, uh, yes, Dad often did call me stupid and say, what a stupid boy you are. But at least I wasn't beaten like other children. So you, you compare, compare it and then minimize it as a way of actually, well, it's not that bad, really. This is just another form of denial. And then there is just outright, full-on denial. Pretend that the emotions aren't there. Uh, the last time I saw my dad, we had someone say this to us, the last time I saw my dad was on a slab in the morgue. How did I feel? I didn't feel anything. We weren't really that close. So just shut the whole thing down and just refuse to do emotions. Or we may choose the path of isolating, where you retreat into your own private, imaginary world. You might escape into fiction or video games or something to, that gives you a whole different fantasy realm. Uh, you may be in a crowd, but you have in your head a happy place that you go to as a means of retreating. Sometimes there are physical means of handling emotions. So sometimes people might get in touch with pain or grief, and they will, they will swallow as a means of putting it away. Uh, or people, if you, they start to tear up and they'll go, I'm sorry, and you see them, they'll clutch their stomach, take a step back and swallow, and maybe even hold their hand like this. You've seen people do that? Oh, I'm sorry. And they're apologizing for connecting with something that is really important to them. They're trying, physically taking a step back as if to move away from it and dismissing it out of hand. And they swallow it and swallow the emotion back down. It's a somatizing. It's a, a means of physically responding to pain. Others of us, of course, um, look brilliant in Christian circles because we manage to channel everything into caring for others and busyness. And so we avoid dealing with our own feelings by helping others. Very often, you know, we might sign up for a um, Freedom in Christ course or, you know, train to pray with people and that sort of thing. But really what we're doing is we're helping others as a means of avoiding dealing with our own stuff. And we, our sort of motto would be, well, enough about me. Let me see how I can help you. And the whole time we choose to disconnect from what's really going on. But what you find happens is that you can't choose which emotions to step away from and which ones to embrace. You know, if you think of it like a spectrum over one end, you've got uh, pain and grief and loss and anger. And on the other end, you've got peace and love and joy. What happens when you shut down to these emotions is you also shut down to these emotions. And you end up living with a very narrow emotional bandwidth. Does that make sense? Where you don't really feel lows and you don't really feel high highs, you just live in a, a little numb safe zone. Because to deal with this stuff is just too much. And so you pay the price for actually experiencing joy 
and release and love. And of course, too, it limits your ability to receive that from others. So you will struggle to deal with other people's anger, and you will struggle to receive other people's love. So how we handle our emotions is a deeply spiritual issue. It's a deeply biblical one. And so I just wanted to use one brief example in the last, what remains of this session to try and begin to look at how do we handle our emotions in a really godly way. And I want to look at the subject of anger. Um, fortunately, Christians don't ever feel anger. We just get frustrated uh, instead. But just in case you should come across somebody who gets angry, I'd like you to talk about it a bit. Two common confusions um, with anger. There's so many we could look at. We could have looked at fear or confusion or whatever. But two common issues with anger. One is that we confuse anger with hostility and hate. We sort of lump it all together. But anger isn't the same as hostility and aggression. It's possible, obviously, to love someone and still be angry at them. Anybody married in the room? Raise your hand if married. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah? And so do your spouses, okay? Um, anger is a powerful emotion that tells us that something is wrong. So it's actually a very helpful thing. So um, Simon and Caroline, who, Simon's the lead elder of our church, he often says that when he and Caroline row, they have this little motto that when they're arguing, God wants to speak to both of them, which I think is a brilliant little phrase. In other words, it's something's wrong in the relationship here. Anger means that we need to deal with this and resolve it and find out what, it's, what it is. But probably the biggest misunderstanding is that many of us would think that the Bible teaches us not to be angry. But of course, that's not what it says. Colossians 3.8. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Ephesians 4.31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Of course, if you look at the text closely, it says, get rid of anger. The literal translation would be to put anger away from you. In our colloquial parlance, it would be deal with it. When you get angry, deal with the anger. Sort it out. Refuse to just be dominated by it. Ephesians 4.26 makes sense of this. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, deal with the anger during the daytime. Don't put it off. Because stuffed away, anger becomes very, very destructive. Somebody once said this. Um, our emotions included in this would be anger. Are not poisonous plants to be eradicated, but are like wild plants to be cultivated. I like that. So they're wild plants that we need to cultivate. So we develop wrong ways of handling anger because we think, well, I shouldn't be angry or it's an ungodly thing. And there are different ways of, of handling anger. And I've just, hopefully in a memorable way, I've got them on this next slide here. The first one, uh, this is a deeply scientific approach I'm taking here. The first wrong way of handling anger would be this. It's the ostrich approach. Um, the ostrich approach says there isn't any conflict, at least not around me. It says don't rock the boat, don't make a scene, pretend there's no... No, no anger going on. It's a kind of don't mention the war approach to anger. Um, but of course, the anger and the, the problems don't go away. So I wonder, do you recognize that in you at all? Is that your natural response to anger? Is that how it was handled in your family when you were growing up? That starkly contrasts with the next one, which is the high noon approach or the gunslinger approach to anger. This style of conflict resolution is completely different, which says I won't run from anything. Typically, it's volatile. There's a lot of shouting. And the anger is outwardly expressed. It says, I'm looking for a showdown. And the aim of conflict with, with, a, with a gunslinger is that they might win. Not that they might win the person, but I might win the argument. So they might win their argument, as a, but as a result, there's a high body count. Okay. So I wonder, does that resonate with you at all? Is there a hair trigger on your temper? 
Is there a touch of the John Wayne about you? Okay. What do you like when you're behind the wheel of your car? Okay, for instance. The next means of handling anger is this, is the Eskimo approach. This is a freeze them out. This says where there's conflict, you turn polar on people. You don't shout at them. It's much more effective just to go cold on them and you send them to Coventry. I was part, um, my family was a close family member who for 10 days refused to, uh, to speak to the rest of his immediate family because he was angry with them. 10 days. Mealtimes, nothing. Nothing said for 10 days of silence. It's a judgment on people. Then the fourth method would be the volcano approach. Okay? Volcanoes like to store up a big list of grievances over a long period of time. And then suddenly, when you're least expecting it, it might all look dormant, but suddenly, bang, the volcano erupts. And everything that you've done wrong for the past two months, from leaving the toilet seat up to always being on your phone to your mother for two hours on a Sunday night, suddenly gets spewed out at you, and this big load of gunk erupts at you. And then lastly, there are pressure cookers. This is perhaps the most dangerous of all. Similar to the volcano, the hurt and the anger builds up over a long period of time. But rather than face the person who's causing them to be angry, they choose to internalize it. They choose to find a means to blame themselves, and the pressure is put inside. And so they would say, oh, I must have done something to have upset them, or I must have done something to make them angry. It must be my fault somehow. So it's easier to deal with anger that way. Just take a moment, turn to the person next to you and turn to them and say, you know, I'm a volcano and I've always thought you were a gunslinger or whatever. Just figure out which one of the fives most resonates with you. All right. Okay, this is, um, this is obviously the after lunch session, so I'm trying to keep it as interactive and visual as possible. Uh, how about this? How about we find out who's in the room? How does that sound? Yeah, I'm excited about that. I'm not actually getting much excitement from you guys. But let's do it anyway. I've got the microphone. So here's what I'd like to do. When we get to you, uh, one that's most like you, obviously it's not deeply scientific, but the one that you think is most like you, why don't you stand up? Does that sound all right? And we can see, see who's who, yeah? We've built enough trust in the room, haven't we? Is that all right? If you're not sure, you can just stay standing. That's fine. Okay, so let's, let's start ostriches. Who would say that's most like them? Okay, a number. Okay, quite a few. Well, a flock. Okay, brilliant. Okay, great. Okay, thank you, chat. So ostriches, gunslingers. Okay. The gunslingers, interestingly, are further to the back. I don't know what that means. It might be significant. Thank you, gunslingers. I will tread with caution. Eskimos, to be honest. Okay. All right. Okay. There's an even spread of dysfunction across the room. That's great. Okay. Great. Okay. Volcanoes. Who are the volcanoes? Oh, okay. Oh, okay. For some reason, people are most scared of you. I don't know why. And then be honest, pressure cookers. Where are you? Okay. Again, an even spread. Okay. All right. Thank you. Do you want to take your seats? I guess, I guess what I'd say is that for each one of those, they're dangerous, aren't they? And um, because many of us are leaders in the church and even more of us are leaders in our own homes... The way we handle our anger is going to have an impact on the ones we love, isn't it? And our society and our world uh, struggles every day because of men mishandling anger. Uh, women are abused and downtrodden. They're kept boxed off and isolated. Children uh, end up traumatized and damaged sometimes for life. 
There's violence on the streets, there's conflicts, there are wars because men don't handle anger well. And um, I want to just, as we close this session, I want to implore to you to handle your anger well, to not pretend that it's not there anymore, to admit that it is there and begin to know how to process it really well. So as we draw this to a close, I want to give you a tool, just one very simple one. I'm a simple soul. I'm going to give you a simple tool uh, to handling anger. Uh, And it's a a three-step process. You see in the Psalms, the psalmist processing the different emotions. And obviously you see the whole gamut, the whole range of emotions. Let me give you a pattern that we often will see in the Psalms. And it's this, it's a little mnemonic. And so when in doubt, when it comes to expressing emotions, but particularly expressing anger, when in doubt, use your head. And I can't spell, so I've spelled it H-E-D, all right? So step one is probably the most important, but it's be honest. To actually be honest about how you really feel. That sounds simple and obvious. You'd be amazed how many men I pray with who just have never hit the pause button long enough to be honest about how they really feel about this issue that's happened in their life or that experience or their upbringing or the situation that they're currently in. So what happens, the emotion doesn't go away. It just spills out in unguarded moments or it spills out around the people who can least afford to be on the receiving end of your anger. How many men go home at the end of a long, stressful day at the office and take out their frustration and their anger on their young children and their wife? How many men do that? I do it all the time. And I bet I'm not alone in this room. It's starting off being honest and then beginning to apportion the anger in the right places, being angry at the right people for the right things and having the courage to do that. It's far easier for me to go home and be short and cross with my children than it is for me to face down one of my other elders and said, when you did that, that made me really angry. It's far easier for me to take it out on the ones that I love. I think it was Terry who, who once said, we often save our worst for the ones that we love the most. And that's just stuck with me. So the first step is being honest. And that might mean that you need to talk to someone. It might mean that you need to ho- learn a whole new vocabulary about what emotions you're having at any one moment. Some of us, you know, we're... We're part human and part Vulcan, and we can't, you know, we don't really know what to do with our emotions. You may need to get one of those charts where you go down the list. I had a friend who's so emotionally numb, I was trying to help him open up. I gave him one of these charts with the different smiley faces and sad faces and everything, and he would be having a conversation with his wife, and uh, he, he wouldn't know what, how he felt. So he got hold of one of these charts and stuck it to the back of one of the kitchen cabinet doors. And so he'd be having a conversation with his wife, and he'd go, I feel... And then he'd have a blank. And he'd trot through to the kitchen, open the door. Uh, yeah, it's that one. Okay, I feel disappointed. And he'd go back and have a conversation with his wife. So many of us are emotionally stunted and don't have the vocabulary. Well, the first step is being honest about how you feel and beginning to talk about it and beginning to find the words that fit with the emotions that you're feeling. The next step is this, is to express You know, I'm being honest about, I'm angry, and I'm angry because of this, and this is why, and this is who I'm angry at, and I'm angry at God, I'm angry at that person, I'm angry at myself. I'm beginning to express it in a godly way. You know, start writing your own psalm. You know, uh, go for a long walk and shout at God and kick a tree. You know, go, go start to get it out, because you either get it out in a controlled, disciplined manner, or you let it spill out at just the wrong moment and at just the wrong person. So start to express it in a, in a godly way. And then the third one is this, is decide. Is decide. I've, I've been honest about it. I've expressed it. 
And now I'm going to make some godly decisions on the back of it. I'm going to choose to respond to this person in that way. I felt boxed off and controlled by them. I've been honest about it. I've expressed it. And now I'm going to go and talk to them about it. I'm going to explain to them how I felt. I'm going to choose to forgive them. So often, we run into problems when we stop at stage two. We do one and two. So we're honest about it. We express how we feel. But then we just keep going round and round and round in a circle on this. And the problem never actually goes away. Why? Because we've never actually made any godly decisions. We've never actually chosen to forgive or talk to the person or change jobs or whatever it was that we needed to do. And so we're just stuck in this cycle where emotions dominate us, but we don't actually let them lead to godly behavior. But the favorite for most blokes in the Western world is this, is we think to ourselves, honesty and expressing our feelings Sounds a little bit uncomfortable, all that yucky emotional stuff. I'm just going to skip straight through to number three. And I'm going to say, well, I'm just going to make some godly decisions and then that will be it. But of course, everything else here just bubbles away under the surface. And it comes out later in a volcanic eruption or a gunslinger moment. And we hurt the people around us that we love the most. Why? Because we've not actually been honest with ourselves and honest with God about what's really going on. We've not expressed it in a godly way. And therefore, we're not able to make godly decisions. I say to you, how can you ever really forgive someone unless you know what it is you're forgiving them for? So many people, I say, you know, they tell me horrible stories of how they've been abused and damaged in different ways. And I say, well, you know, how, how, what have you done with that? How has that affected you? And say, it's okay, I've forgiven them, moved on. But I've never actually really looked at what the person did and the impact it had on them. So if you don't ever really look at that, if you're not honest with yourself, how can you then truly forgive from the heart? It can only be at the most superficial, intellectual level. No, if we're to fully move through things, if we're to fully process stuff, we've got to be honest, we've got to express, and then we've got to decide, make some godly biblical decisions as a result. Guys, I say this with some emphasis because I think the consequences of of men failing to handle their emotions well are extremely damaging. I think it shuts our children down. I think it, like I say, I think it boxes women off. And it means that we live in this numb little narrow band where nobody can really know us and we can, can't really know others. It affects our relationships with those too close to us and it affects our relationship with God. We're meant to live like the psalmists do. We live experiencing all the lows, but equally experiencing all the highs. And if we're meant to be a people of real joy, the happiest people on the planet, then we've got to learn how to handle our emotions well so that we can experience those highs and people might see in us the very character and nature of God that will draw them to him. Does that make sense? Yeah. Why don't you stand and I'll pray for us as we close this session. just love to pray for us. I'd love to particularly pray for anyone here this morning, this afternoon, where you feel like I've just begun to live in that narrow band. I don't really feel highs or lows. I'm just numb. If that's you, do you want to just raise a hand in the air? I'd just love to pray for you. Okay. Right. Thank you. Let me just pray for you. Father, we just pray for every hand raised here. Father, we pray that you would show them what it is to live as a godly man, to experience all the highs and the lows of life. Father, I pray they wouldn't run from any emotion, however painful it might be, but they might offer it up to you and deal with it, to be honest with you and honest with themselves. Might express it. Come, Holy Spirit. We pray for a release of emotion, Lord God. 
Not that they'd be dominated by their emotions, but they would process their emotions in a healthy, godly way. Come and do it, Lord God. Thank you, Father. I'm going to ask as well for a big step, guys. Um, anybody who knows that they haven't got a handle on their anger, I'd love to pray for you. So if you know that anger sometimes gets the better of you, probably not publicly, but privately on occasions, will you take a bold step and raise a hand in the air? Okay, it's great. Guys, will you just lay a hand on the men that have just raised their hands? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Just pray for me. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Father, we want to say, we, we want to express your love to those around us. Father, would you come and meet with these men here who know that anger overwhelms them at times. Father, I pray for the ability to be honest about it, what's causing the anger. You know, they say that anger generally comes from fear or pain, sometimes both. So I'd love you, outside of this session, to be asking yourself, what am I hurting over? And what am I frightened of? And then God will begin to reveal that to you. So we pray for a revelation over fear and pain. That anger might then be expressed in a godly way. Father, we pray, come and bleed off the excess, Lord God. Bleed off the anger that's welled up, that's stored up. Pray for where there's been trauma and hurt and rejection and pain. Father, would you come and bring your love? Would you enable them to express anger in in a godly way. Would you take the heat out of it, Lord God? Take the pressure off, Lord God, that they would no longer express their anger to, to those around them that they love. They, they would save their best for the ones they love the most, not their worst. Come and do it. I pray for healing, Lord God. I just see a, um, a front door and of a home, and I, I feel like God's saying that, they, that you live um, one way in public and another way behind closed doors. And we pray right now for them to be the most loving and the most patient behind closed doors. Father, let there be, as it were, let them be like an iceberg where the riches are below the waterline, Lord Jesus. Come and do it. Come and break the power of anger in our lives, Lord God. Offer it up to you. Just as you stand before him right now, right now why don't you just repent before him from where you've just blown your top You've said things and done things you regret, you regret. And you know that if others in church had seen what you'd said and done, they'd be horrified. But the Lord's just brought it up today because he, he's seen it and he doesn't want you to have to live that way, to keep living that way. We break that off you in the name of Jesus. And you say you're to be men of patience and kindness and love and gentleness. Come and speak that over you. Where there's been anger and outbursts and hatred, we speak gentleness and peace in the name of Jesus. Come and do it, Lord God. Come and do it, Lord God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Come, Holy Spirit. Yes. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Great.